I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, it's just going to be me. I've been marinating on doing this solo episode for a while, and I've been avoiding it a little bit because it's not like the happiest, most optimistic podcast you'll ever hear, Um, but it's undoubtedly real and undoubtedly how I've been feeling lately, and I thought maybe some of you might be feeling this way too. And I feel like this podcast's benefit, uh, while there may be several of them, one of them is to develop and foster community among us and help each of us feel less alone. So even when the sentiments are less than ideal, um, I think they're worth sharing on here. So I've been thinking a lot about beauty and death recently and the fact that I feel that they're inextricable from one another and that they intersect constantly everywhere. This summer has been interesting. Um, Normally, the van trips that Chris and I take are super fun and like an extended summer vacation. And I feel like each year that we do it, they become more challenging in a way because I think experiencing the world firsthand, looking at the world firsthand with one's eyes, not just one's brain through books, but really being in the world um, makes it very difficult to avoid the truth or truths of the world. And uh, this summer was pretty challenging. I feel like last summer, a lot of the challenge, you know, had to do with COVID had just started and people were kind of panicking and people were or were not wanting to wear masks and the election was coming and it felt sort of like it would pass. It felt like a temporary event in the world. Um, And so it was definitely difficult and definitely stressful, but it felt like, okay, but next summer... (laughs) next year, the year after, it'll be better. This is just a temporary issue. But this summer, that sort of temporary issue, I feel like has morphed into what now feels like a long-term issue. And that maybe sort of the heightened anxiety and stress of last summer um, was ex- was just a simple sort of extreme expression of the underlying anxiety and stress and despair and pain that um, exists and continues to exist and will continue to exist. We had two close friends this summer within a month of each other, 
um, get diagnosed with cancer. Uh, yesterday was my birthday. I spent it at my grandparents' cabin in Colorado, which they have owned. They actually uh, received the notification that the land became available the year I was born, in 1988. They built this cabin in uh, outside of Gunnison, near Crested Butte, with their own hands, uh, and it was finished when I was seven. And I've been visiting them at that cabin in the summer, in the winter, on and off for my entire life. And due to a myriad of factors, one, it's very difficult to take care of. Uh, the cabin is sort of a living being. <laughs> it requires a lot of attention and maintenance. Um, my grandparents are getting quite a bit older and can no longer really take it on. My grandmother needs oxygen in order to exist uh, at 9,000 feet, which is where the cabin is, and that became sort of untenable. And over the past few years, uh, they, as, uh, as well as my entire family, have tried to come up with different ways that maybe we could keep it at, at a certain point. Uh, for those of you that have been listening for a long time, I was actually planning on moving in there a few years back, um, but that didn't end up happening. I thought maybe I could caretake it. We sort of went through all these different options and had many conversations uh, where everyone was sort of crying and <laughs> expelling all of their familial uh, trauma and pain at one another. It was productive, but it was definitely really intense. But ultimately, we decided it was impossible um, and that no one in the family could really take it on and they would need to sell it, which was really the last thing they wanted to do because the way they described it is that they're basically blood and sweat existed in the logs of this place, which I definitely always felt when I was well when I was there. I think it was like an interesting example of a way to live that no one else in my family was doing. It was out in the middle of nowhere. It was quiet. There was no internet. There was no cell phone service. It was by and large, um, definitely in like my top three favorite places of all time. Um, it still is. And it felt like such a special part of the family. And, uh, this year they put it on the market and received an offer and accepted it. And so they are closing on September 29th. And yesterday I went, uh, for the day for my birthday, which was sort of impromptu. Um, I thought I'd, Chris and I would be driving around the Southwest for the next couple months, but we have decided to jump ship and go to Guatemala for a couple months. And so we really only had a few days for me to go visit one last time. Um, and it felt sort of, I don't know, strangely appropriate to go on my birthday and celebrate in that way. And of course that was very sad, <laughs> um, because that cabin will no longer, at least literally, um, belong to my family and my grandparents are going through quite a bit of, um, pain and grief about letting it go that I feel pretty palpably. So that was something else that happened this year. And then I think really what hit me the hardest was driving around, um, mostly Idaho and Montana and being consistently, consumed by heat and smoke. You know, I've been aware, I think, as many of us are, young people have been aware of climate change for a long time. 
think Al Gore did his little thing, uh, probably when a lot of us were quite young. Uh, and if we weren't young, I think a lot of us found out about this prior to that. But I think it's definitely been, you know, one of the many prominent themes of my and probably all of your adolescence growing up as millennials or somewhere near a millennial. Um, but I feel like the more I get older, the more I realize how sort of unsubstantial my intellectual knowledge is relative to my experiential knowledge. There was one experience in particular this summer where we were in Idaho and we were at a beautiful spot and the smoke started to appear. It was smoke that was coming from the Dixie fire. Uh, it seems, I think there are two Dixie fires. There's one in California and there was one in Idaho. So I'm talking about the one in Idaho and we were like, okay, fuck, we gotta get out of here and go to a different spot. So we're not breathing all this smoke. And we decided to take this it was like a 112-mile dirt road called the Magruder Corridor. Uh, and it wasn't like a mountain pass. It was a corridor. So we were just high up in the mountains for 112 miles on maybe the roughest dirt road that I've ever been on next to a cliff. <laughs> it was extremely stressful um, and took a very long time and was so fucking dusty. Uh, we thought it would be a fun idea, and instead it was pretty horrifying, and the reason it was so horrifying, other than the dirt road and the bumps and feeling like we were about to fall off a cliff, was that the point of all of this was that we were escaping this fire, which at that point had burned close to like 100,000 acres, and you could see the smoke in the distance. So we're escaping that smoke, but the entire time, I kid you not, may have been more than 112 miles, but it was something like that, for 112 miles... We drove through nothing but dead forest. And I say forest lightly because what we were driving through was a dead tree farm. This area had clearly been logged um, and replanted, quote unquote, reforested with basically nothing but Douglas fir because they grow very quickly and because it's the easiest way to quote unquote make it, you know, reforest, make it look like, um, we've put back what was there, which is absurd and not at all what was there before, but we plant one species of tree and, uh, it fucking burns because that's what happens when you monocrop a forest. So we're driving through this previously logged, previously reforested, with one plant, one species of tree, forest, farm, whatever you want to call it, and it's all dead. So we're escaping one wildfire that has, is burning close to 100,000 acres while driving through the remnants of a previously logged, previously burned area of, I mean, as far as you can see, dead trees. Dry, dead trees. I don't know if I've fully, you know, you, you think about, oh, this wildfire, you know, you hear in the news, like, oh, this wildfire is burning 100,000 acres, 200,000 acres. This fire is larger than any other fire. And most of the time we're kind of away from that. We can see maybe the remnants of the smoke, but we have no idea how to comprehend 100,000 100, 
acres. It's sort of unimaginable, just sort of like the deaths from COVID are unimaginable. You know, we I've seen a lot of things over my life where like visually online people try to show us the extent of something when the numbers get that high, whether it's the amount of trash we throw out or the number of deaths that have occurred or the amount of acres that have been burned in a wildfire. But really, I feel like we're at such a disadvantage in really fully comprehending what's going on until we experience it, until we drive 112 miles through a dead forest that wasn't even a forest to begin with, or it was initially, but then it was logged, replanted with one species of tree, and burned. And it keeps happening over and over and over and over again. Isn't that the definition of insanity? <laughs> that we continue to do something and expect different results? I don't even know whose side I come down on anymore. You know, normally I'd like to think of myself as an environmentalist, but it is true that if we plant one species of tree, it will burn unless we log it again. That's what happens. So what are we supposed to do? You know, who's going to manage the the actual accurate reforestation of hundreds of thousands of acres all around the world? And I think experiencing that magnitude of death, I mean, it was, it, it carried for me throughout the whole summer. I mean, I felt more conscious of what areas were logged. I felt more conscious of that the surrounding nature I was looking at was not in fact native. That there are maybe four species of you know, uh, plant life as opposed to hundreds. That whatever animals used to live here don't live here anymore. And it's still fucking beautiful. It's even beautiful when the sun sets through the smoke and it's orange and this color that you've never seen before. There's beauty, but everything's dying. You know, there's beauty in my life. There is joy and love. But everything and everyone is dying. And I can't turn it off. I feel like when I went through my dark night of the soul or whatever you want to call it a few years ago, that came to the forefront for the first time. That sort of intersection of grief and love, right? Because they are expressions of the same thing but it's getting worse <laughs> and it's not like there's grief and love it's just that they both exist simultaneously all the time and the strange thing happens that what's beautiful is the death itself and I feel like these experiences are making me rethink a lot of my attitudes toward the world, <laughs> rethink some of my optimism, and really think about my generation. And that's what this podcast was really created to do to begin with, was to think about 
this generation or the ones, you know, that uh, came right before, came right after. Think about the experiences that we had growing up. Think about where the world was and then sort of pondering what is our purpose here. I really do believe that uh, life does have meaning. I believe that time is cyclical. And whether or not we can accurately specifically define what it is, I do think there is a purpose for each of us, both individually and collectively. And so I've been thinking a lot more about what that might be for young people, for myself. And I think I'm a very, I think I personally, I'm a very optimistic person. I think I, and by optimism, I think I can find meaning and purpose even within a lot of pain and sorrow. And I, I do think that that's um, a generational quality. I think a lot of my friends do the same. I think it's why so many of us are interested in spirituality or astrology or tarot or anything we can do to sort of find meaning and purpose in the darkness. I've spoken before on the podcast about the astrological significance of uh, the millennial generation, which is Pluto, the Pluto and Scorpio generation. So generations, if you look at them astrologically, are generally pretty much aligned with Pluto's transit throughout the sky, which is a 250-year cycle. And so when millennials were born, Pluto was in its home sign of Scorpio. Scorpio is the sign of death, the sign of birth, the sign of taboo, the things we don't want to talk about, the things we're afraid of. It is the underworld. And Pluto, Hades, is in his home in the underworld. And Pluto in our charts are generationally sort of refer to our karmic journey, our karmic purpose. And so what does a generation do when it has Pluto in Scorpio as opposed to some other sign? And I've obviously thought a lot about this. I recorded a podcast episode about uh, the Pluto and Scorpio generation. Oh gosh, it was like one of the first podcasts I ever put up. I feel like we're due for an update on that. Um, but the episode was with Tim Holleran. So if you're interested in that pers perspective, I highly recommend going back. I think it was within the first five episodes I did. Still probably, not probably, still definitely very relevant. Um... But I thought a lot about this and I feel like, you know, I really have uh, sort of summarized it for myself as like our generation is here to find, to find meaning and a way to, I think I, you know, say in the description of my podcast, like walk our planet through the darkest of days. But I feel like something is shifting and maybe it's, a, maybe it's slight, but, you know, I always have sort of talked about how important fixing ourselves to fix the world is, right? That all we can sort of do is focus on our backyard and focus on ourselves and hopefully influence future generations in a positive way, break cycles that are toxic, whether they're familial cycles or um, the ways in which we treat the world and treat each other. And I've always sort of thought that if each and every one of us made those changes that that's how we change the world, right? Because a collective is made up of all these individual parts. So if all the individual parts change, we will all change. The world will change. And I found a lot of comfort in that optimism. 
And I found a lot of power in that optimism. And I found a lot of purpose in that optimism. But there was something about driving through hundreds of thousands of acres of burned tree farm that really left me feeling pretty fucking hopeless and pretty fucking powerless and stripped me of any control I thought I had. And I always got really angry at people who were older than me who had lost a lot of their we-can-make-a-difference attitude. (laughs) And I saw their um, lack of optimism, their pessimism as complacency and as laziness. And I fought. Fought it. (laughs) And I was really angry. And I don't believe that pessimism equals complacency. And I'm definitely not recording this podcast episode as a way to say you know, we can't do anything and therefore we shouldn't. But there is something shifting for me. It's far darker and far more painful than I thought. And maybe the acceptance of that is not so much avoidance or laziness or complacency. Maybe it's just fucking honest. And this whole manic desire to figure it out and change the world and transform the suffering into change and beauty and purpose. I'm just thinking maybe that's all an avoidance mechanism. And I know obviously these things exist on a spectrum, but we have no fucking control. We are so powerless And when you look at the planet right now at a grand scale, just the fact that we think we can make a difference, you know, (laughs) I was thinking about, I did a parasite cleanse a few years ago. I did a parasite cleanse the same time I decided to get a divorce. Bad idea. Do not do that. And also do not take coffee enemas every day for three weeks during the most stressful time of your life. But this is what I did. because I have an extreme personality and go all in uh, for better or for worse. And uh, I remember the naturopath that I was working with talking to me about this. And, you know, I had taken some tests and it said I had this bacterial this and parasitic this, which I'm sure all of us have. And maybe this wasn't necessary, but I was still manically trying to control my health and avoiding my emotional and psychological problems. Uh, thinking that I could solve things with supplements and cleanses and detoxes, <laughs> um, which was probably helpful, but only a small part of what needed to happen. And I remember the naturopath talking to me about how, like, listen, I know you want a quick fix, and I know you think you're just going to do this and all your problems are going to go away, but you have to recognize that if you do have this sort of parasitic overload in your digestive system, what's happening is that those parasites are eating your nutrients. They are destroying your digestive system. Think of it like there are holes in your digestive system, in your intestines. They are eating you. They are eating you from the inside out. And it's one thing, it's step one, is to recognize you have holes and to realize there's a problem. Step two is to actually take the cleanse and take whatever you need to do in order to kill them. 
But even once they're out, how many years have you been struggling with these problems? How many decades has your body existed in this way, in this damaged, less than ideal situation? So great, recognize there's a problem. Take the stuff you need to take in order to kill these parasites and get them out of your body. But that's not the solution. Your body doesn't just automatically heal after that. Your body has to learn how to reabsorb nutrients now. Your body has to learn how to exist without a parasitic infection. And I don't even feel like if we take that metaphor and apply it to the planet, I don't even think we're at the point of realizing how fucking horrible a problem there is, let alone doing a cleanse, let alone giving the planet time to heal from that. We're nowhere near that point. Instead, we're just yelling at each other. Which brings me to the next... <laughs> depressing topic of this podcast. Um, as a, a lot of you know, um, I recently released a bunch of episodes that were definitely controversial, definitely taboo, and um, those podcasts challenged woke ideology, or rather woke methodology, let's say, because I am extremely liberal, liberal and I actually share a lot of goals and views that the woke community does. I just disagree on how we get there. And so my podcasts were meant to showcase that maybe there's a better, less hostile way to get the equal rights and the equality and the acceptance and the love that we're all so craving instead of alienating each other and punishing each other and engaging in this, what to me feels like compensatory injustice. You hurt me, so therefore I get to hurt you, and you just shut up and listen. So I know those podcasts were controversial, um, and I guess I was naive not to expect this, but a couple of things happened, sort of delayed, actually. I didn't get a ton of pushback right away. Um, but then two things happened that I thought were really interesting. One, a previous guest on the podcast sent me an eight- page response to the episode that I posted with uh, Vashnavi about the exportation of gender theory to um, Eastern, less privileged countries where women are still fighting for their rights and where women are choosing to become men because that's easier, <laughs> not because they're necessarily transgender, but because who the fuck wants to be a woman if um, you are relegated to the shit levels of society. So she sent me an eight page response, um, which is fine. I'm totally fine with people critiquing the podcast and not liking it. And, um, although it's very difficult to engage in that sort of a long form dialogue with someone over the internet, which was sort of my response. But then she came onto our discord server and basically sort of attacked a bunch of my patrons who had also shared thoughts on that episode in my mind, in a pretty nuanced way, some of them expressed that they aligned with some things, some of them expressed disagreements. Um, I'm so fucking grateful for the Discord server that we have um, and the people that are in it, because I think although we 
are actually quite different and don't agree all the time. We're able to engage from a place of common decency and respect. We recognize that someone else's opinion or narrative or experience does not negate ours. It can just help us see ours more clearly and we can, um, we can really talk through things in a productive way. Um, that makes me feel a fucking inspired anyway. So she sort of came in and attacked, um, me and my fellow, uh, my patrons and basically said that we were like existing in a validation bubble, <laughs> which is so ironic because she herself has been on my podcast. Um, and a lot of people who have been on my podcast, I'm pretty positive would identify as woke or whatever that means. We don't necessarily talk about it. Um, and when I do talk about woke culture, yes, of course, I'm talking about its critique because that's where my opinion resides and where I don't think there are many conversations. There are hundreds of thousands of podcast episodes that um, uh, speak from a woke perspective. And I wanted to portray something differently. <laughs> um, but there are a ton of people on my podcast who I don't agree with. And I think what's so beautiful about my podcast uh, if I do say so myself, is that it's not a debate. You know, I'm not having people on here just so we can argue with each other. And in fact, I've had, I've recorded podcasts before that were pretty argumentative and I decided not to release them because I don't think it's productive. Because if you just come to the table with an existing fundamentalist ideology and refuse to budge from that, it's not fucking interesting. It's boring and uncomfortable and awkward. So I don't, I don't do that. What I do do is I bring guests on who I disagree with all the time, but I'm not even sure if you guys recognize that because both parties are coming to the table with that disagreement, again, with common decency and respect and or can sort of see that we're actually aligned. We actually all want the same things. I had someone else who I'd reached out to, to, to have on my podcast, who I'd really excited to have on the podcast for a while. And, uh, I sent her an email and she wrote back and said that she could not come on my podcast because some of the ideas expressed or the people I had on and the way that certain things were platformed did not align with her core values, which was also really confusing. I mean, I can't imagine being asked to go on a podcast and needing to align with the every single guest or opinion that had ever been expressed on that podcast. I mean, how is it that we think that alienating one another and not communicating with one another, how do we think that's going to get to equality and understanding? I don't fucking get it. You know, this previous guest on my podcast, I would have happily had her back on, you know, if I, if I knew the conversation wouldn't get hostile. I have no regrets about having her on in the first place. And I don't disagree with the, the world she wants to see. Just as I, I think this woman who didn't want to come on the show at all, I think our core values are probably very much aligned. <laughs> Again, we just maybe disagree on, on the ways in which to get to equality, which is what we all fucking want. We just want to be heard. We want to be equal and we want to have a seat at the table. We all agree. And yet as the planet dies, we just still fucking yell at each other. And I don't get it. It's such a waste. Even this whole vaccine thing is such a waste. 
the debate about it, that is. Everything is so much more nuanced than we want to believe, but we're just so scared that we can't come together. And if we can't come together, what the hell do we think we're going to do about the fact that our home is dying? It's just sad. I'm just sad. We're not protecting each other. We're not caring for each other. We're avoiding the pain of the fact that our home is dying and that we're killing it. We're blabbing on about informed consent and that nothing should be mandatory and we should be able to do what we want. But we live in a civilization of too many people. (laughs) The ideals that we have about how we might exist in a tribe of 100 do not apply when we live in the modern world. It's unrealistic. We have a responsibility for this mess that we created and that we continue to participate in. And if you think you're not a participant in it, you're delusional. And we just cherry pick what we want to make a point about or cherry pick what we want to participate in. And and meanwhile, everything's dying. I wrote a post recently on Instagram about, you know, relating the death of the planet to the death of a loved one and what we miss by avoiding the fact that they're dying, what we miss by bargaining, what we miss by being angry, what we miss by all of the steps of grief that come before acceptance. I thought I was pretty well-versed in grief and darkness. But I still think I was, and still am, existing somewhere before acceptance. Because we don't want to feel that level of pain. We want to still think we can see some sort of change. I don't believe that I'm going to see a change in my lifetime. And I've said that before. But now I really believe it. And that feels different. And that doesn't mean there isn't joy. And that doesn't mean there isn't beauty. And that doesn't mean there isn't love. But they're inextricable from grief. And maybe that's the point of our generation. Or let's stop thinking about it as the point or the purpose. Maybe it's just the acceptance of the fact that we live and will always live in the underworld. We will always exist within this sort of nighttime psychological space. And there's a lot there. Maybe even arguably more interesting than the day psychology space. There's a lot there. It isn't flowers and rainbows and unicorns. It's the death kind of beauty, not the life kind of beauty. And going back to the parasite analogy, if this planet's going to fix itself, it will be the planet that does it. 
not humans. Which doesn't mean that we don't have a right to be humans. It doesn't mean that humans aren't a beautiful part of the world. Because I believe all of those things. But I don't believe we're a beautiful part of the world in this way. I don't believe billions of people can exist on this planet without destroying it. I don't believe we can operate within a capitalist, patriarchal framework without destroying the planet. It doesn't work. Green energy will not work. The only thing that will work is serious population reduction and an entirely different way of interacting with the world that at this point I don't even know is possible because we've stripped it of so many resources and we're already so far gone. The planet itself is the only thing powerful enough to fix itself. And whether <laughs> more viruses will occur or some sort of catastrophic environmental disaster or some sort of nuclear warfare... It's not going to be us. Not right now. Not in my lifetime. And again, that doesn't mean I'm complacent. It doesn't mean I've given up. It doesn't mean I don't have hope. I just feel like there's this need to refocus. To stop smoothing over the pain with optimism to make sure that whatever optimism exists is not an avoidance of the truth. I just want to dig deeper into the reality of what's going on. I don't really want to avoid it by thinking I'm going to fix myself to fix the world and that's all that needs to be done. <laughs> I don't have control. And, you know, if the CEO of Chevron takes ayahuasca and decides that pulling toxic shit out of the earth isn't the way to go, it'll just be replaced by someone else who does. Until the planet takes over and takes control. I don't know what we're descending into, but... We're definitely going down, not up. This will definitely get worse before it gets better. You can see it everywhere, whether we're talking about social issues or planetary issues or political issues. We are on the down slope. We are still thinking that we can solve our problems with supplements and detoxes. We need a substantial change in the entire way that we operate. And there's no way that that kind of substantial change occurs without a death. Shit's gotta burn down before that phoenix rises. Those parasites have to be killed before we can even think about repairing the damage. And we're all the fucking parasites. And I hate saying that. <laughs> because I've worked really hard to find the beauty in humanity. I've worked really hard to find like the ways in which humans can exist peacefully and reciprocally with the planet. 
I don't know. I, I just feel like I can't necessarily separate myself and my own values from everyone else's. I feel responsible. I feel like I'm a part of it. My actions alone are not going to mean shit. <laughs> Even thousands of people's of actions or millions of people's of actions. You know, it, if, if this isn't a collective force, it's not strong enough. And I'm still participating. You know, I, I really don't think that we can live, we can really coexist with this world unless we think in far more reciprocal, holistic, uh, regenerative ways. And I'm barely versed in that. I mean, maybe I'm more versed in that than other people, but I'm still barely versed in it. I still can only recognize six plants when I go outside. <laughs> I still use electricity. I still do all of that stuff. And again, if maybe the population was smaller, we could get away with some of these sort of technological advances, but that's not the case. We think we can just recycle our way out of this or solar panel our way out of this or even regenerative soil our way out of this. No, it's delusional. Which doesn't mean everything isn't beautiful. <laughs> doesn't mean all of you aren't beautiful, which doesn't mean I'm not endlessly grateful for this community and my life and the people in it. But it's all dying. And I'm sad. That's all I'm going to say about that for today. In other news, if you would like to try and find some meaning and purpose in this fucking shit show, um, I am relaunching my Lunar Circle in October, and uh, the Lunar Circle is basically my introduction to astrology and archetypal psychology course. I honestly think it is more about archetypal psychology than it is astrology. The astrology chart is a way to get to know the archetypes and to understand how they live within us. But really, that's the end goal. It's not about reading charts, although you will learn that. Um, it's not about knowing what planets were where and you were born. You will learn that. It is about um, recognizing yourself within this realm of mythology, within the realm of story, and using those stories to get to know yourself better and to become a better person, to become a more aware person. What we do is that we take uh, one lunar cycle. Uh, the one we will be doing will be the new, starting with the new moon in Libra, which is really special because I have a Libra moon. Um, and so I feel like it is appropriate uh, that we will be meeting together for the Libra new moon. And we basically track the moon through the sky for a month and as it moves through the sky we see it moving through our own natal charts so when we took our first breath um, every planet was in a specific place in the sky the sun was in a specific place the moon was in a specific place and that's our birth chart that's our natal chart and then uh, as time goes on the planets keep moving obviously <laughs> the moon moves the sun moves um, and so as all those planets move, they start hitting points in our chart, right? So the moon returns to the place it was when we were born a month later. The sun returns to the place where we were born a year later, and then every year after that. 
Some planets take a very long time, like Pluto, as I mentioned. Um, and so what we do is we take the moon and we track it for a month around our birth chart, around the sky in and of itself, but also see how it interacts with our birth chart in order to learn more about ourselves and the planet and other people. We will meet six times over Zoom where I will give lectures um, about many things, <laughs> um, but mainly we focus on the different stories and mythologies associated which, with each of the signs. And uh, we will meet six times over Zoom. And then there, in addition to that, this is something new that I'm doing this time around. Um, we're going to separate the lectures from the group discussion. So before, those were all happening together, which led to very long meeting times, um, upwards of three hours. So this time I'm going to give lectures, and then you're all going to meet with a much smaller group to discuss the course material and share your insights from the previous week. So as the moon moved through... Uh, Sagittarius and Capricorn and Aquarius, you're going to share what happened and what you felt and what you were thinking about. Um, one of the best ways to learn about these archetypes is to hear as many different versions of experience and of story and of narrative as possible. Um, and so that's why the group discussions are so valuable. And what's also really cool is that this time, this, those smaller discussions are going to be led by former Lunar Circle graduates. And they will be helping to lead the discussion. They will compile any questions that they can't answer and uh, bring them to me during the lecture. I still definitely want to have one-on-one uh, -on -one engagement with all of you, so I didn't want to not have you be able to ask me questions. But uh, the former uh, Lunar Circle graduates will compile those and um, present them to me during the lecture so that I can answer them directly and still interact with all of you. Um, also, the cool thing about this now is that uh, given that the discussions are separate from the lectures, um, a lot of people wanted to do the program before, but they have like a weird schedule or they're in a different time zone or had kids or work or whatever. Um, and now you don't necessarily have to attend those lectures live. They will be recorded and uploaded right away. So as long as you watch them before the group discussion and before the next lecture, um, you don't have to attend any of those lectures live. Of course you can, if you want to, and you're available, I will be doing some in the morning and some in the evening to stagger it for those with different availability. Um, but it definitely makes it a lot more open to lots of different people. So that's exciting. Um, I'm going to be talking more about that in the coming months. I'm going to be doing some more astrology podcasts on the show. Um, talking a bit more about my philosophy, how this course is basically the anti- pop astrology course, the anti-sun sign horoscope course. Um, a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the, there's so many misconceptions about astrology. And so a lot of you who might have, um, sort of triggered reactions to something as ridiculous as astrology. Um, this course is really meant to show you that there are, uh, there is a very, very different way to engage with astrology. Um, that is not as silly as you may think. So I'm going to be talking more about that. Uh, but if you would like to sign up, um, it is, enrollment has not officially opened. Enrollment opens September 2nd. However, if you join the waitlist, which you can do at anyakotz.com slash lunar circle, there's a lot of information on there about the lectures, etc. cetera. Uh, the group discussion times will be announced uh, September 2nd when I open enrollment officially. But if you put your name on the waitlist now, 
you will get access to special discounted pricing that is only available through September 1st. So there is no commitment to sign up now, no commitment to pay now. Just put your name on the wait list. And if you do so, when enrollment opens, you will get access to the discounted price that's listed on the website. So again, Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S.com slash Lunar Circle. Uh, if you have any questions about that, you can send me a message on Instagram at Anya.Kotz. You can send me an email, AnyaKotz at gmail.com. Happy to answer those questions. Um, and yeah, I will be talking more about it. So if you have any interest, even the slightest interest whatsoever, definitely put your name on that wait list so you get the discount. Um, and when enrollment opens, I will let you all know. Um, and at that point, you can choose uh, which group you'd like to take part in for the group discussions. Those are also not mandatory, but definitely recommended. And we'll have four or five different options for different groups for you to join. So anyone in any sort of time zone or with any availability will find a way to make it work. We have a WhatsApp chat and all of you will guys, um, even outside of your small groups, will get to communicate with each other and me. Contact list. Um, it's another really amazing way to foster community in these really depressing times. <laughs> Still going to do fun things. I know this podcast was depressing as fuck. Um, but I just felt like that stuff needed to be said. Ground into the sorrow of it all in order to experience the world more honestly and more clearly and more respectfully. I'm going to play you out today with a song called Mama by Lola Kirk. I believe the song is about an actual human mama, but applies very much to Pancha Mama. They are all the same. Enjoy the song, and I will catch you next time. Sending you all love and sorrow and beauty and death and everything in between. Please don't cry, mama. Or do cry if you feel you gotta I guess I could honor you If you think I
For 